Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 14. I'm your host, Steph Nugebauer, and today we're going to be chatting with Dr. Roosevelt Gray. Roosevelt, uh, the last few years, our country has come face-to-face with some really hefty challenges. An issue that is front and center is, of course, that of race relations and racism. And these issues have been around since the founding of our nation and then certainly even before that. Now, as Christians, you and I know that all people are created by God and that we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves and, and even above ourselves. So how can we better fulfill God's command and live by this truth when it comes to relating to and caring for people of a different ethnicity, race, culture? I think a time like this is the perfect opportunity for the church to shine the love of Christ and live out this truth. And you, uh, Pastor Gray, as our guest today, uh, will guide us in this. So welcome. Thank you very much, Stephanie. It's wonderful being with you today. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Pastor Gray, for those who don't know you, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and maybe some fun things like a hobby or interest that you have outside of work. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm Pastor Gray. Uh, I've been now a pastor in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Senate for 33 years. This year's my 33rd year graduated from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana in 1988, served uh, Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas, was my first congregation, was there for seven years, and then back on staff at uh, the Fort Wayne Seminary, Concordia Theological Seminary, as director of uh, admissions and recruitment, and then a pastor in Detroit, Michigan at uh, Outer Drive Faith Lutheran Church, and then on the district staff for 12 years as a facilitator for urban inner city uh, specialized ministry for the district. And now on staff with the uh, LCMS Office of National Missions with Black and African Ethnic Ministry. And so I, I've been serving now, as I say, for these 35 years, excited about the work of LCMS Black Ministry in the church, especially during this time. Uh, where there's so much tension in our country. And, and my job is to serve congregations and communities and, and try to help them to, to work through the issues that are going on in their communities, but also to stay focused on the good news of the gospel. Because as St. Paul says, it is the only power of God into salvation for all people. And so uh, that's my job. Uh, I'm excited about that. I've been encouraged uh, as the church has been uh, wrestling with uh, all of these issues that are going on today. And I think we have the best message of all, and that is uh, uh, have faith in Christ. God loves all humanity. Jesus died for all sins, for all people, and we must share that message of hope and salvation. Hmm. Amen. Now, uh, Pastor Gray, I have worked with you before in the Office of National Mission, and so I'm I'm aware of all of the facets of LCMS Black Ministry, 
But specifically, what kind of projects have you done in the past and what are you what are you currently working on or working or looking ahead to, I guess, for the, the future? I know you have some exciting stuff going on. Correct. Well, in the past, what I've done, I've worked with uh, urban inner city African-Americans and other ethnic congregations to help them to do outreach in the communities. I've worked with Carlos Hernandez with the Gospel Seeds in order to help congregations to witness to uh, members uh, in, 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 in the congregation and in the communities. And we've worked throughout the United States uh, doing the Gospel Seeds and also helping congregations to identify resources to witness and, and show mercy and live life together. Uh, in the places where God has called them. We have probably, I would say, 140 predominantly African-American congregations throughout the United States. And the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod has been in what we call black ministry since 1877 at the 1877 uh, LCMS convention in Fort Wayne, Indiana. the conventioner simply said, we must go south and share the gospel with Indians and African-Americans. And so they sent a missionary south and he came back and said, it was 1877 now, you know, so you're only, what, about 14 years outside of uh, emancipation. And he said, the conditions of African-Americans and Indians in the south are probably worse than they were during slavery. Mm-hmm. And so the church then decided to send a missionary to Little Rock, Arkansas first, to Louisiana, North Carolina, and then Alabama, and uh, the work of the gospel in many black communities throughout the United States has moved forward since then. And so the church has always been in missions, and it has been in missions uh, for the ethnic minorities that are non-Germanic and especially African-Americans, uh, which probably is the largest of the non-Germanic ethnic uh, members in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate today. But that's my work. And so we've been doing that. A lot of that work started early on with uh, what they would do. They would go into a community. They would start a Sunday school. Out of the Sunday school would become parochial school. Out of the parochial school would come the church. And so it was Sunday school, parochial school, and the church. And, uh, and, and one of the most prolific church planters in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate was Dr. Rosa J. Young who started 30 church schools and 33 congregations, 35 congregations uh, in, the, in the Southern District, in Alabama, mostly all in Alabama. She started 30 schools and 35 congregations. And so wow. I think the exciting thing is that we passed in the two, 2016 LCMS convention to, uh, to restart the Rosa, some, some Rosa J. Young academies throughout the United States. And that's what we're up to today. That's the most exciting thing I think that we have going today is that to go back into communities where we once had schools and congregations to start new schools. And, uh, and those schools will be outreach opportunities for us in order to reach uh, the, the community as it was nearly 100 years ago when Rosa J. Young started schools. And schools were started in North Carolina. Schools were started in Louisiana. Uh, even before Rosa started her 30 schools and 35 congregations, uh, the Luther Church, Missouri Senate in 1878, it started the first school among African-Americans in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then from there, they pretty much, uh, that's the way they went about serving the black community. A Sunday school, a day school, and a congregation. Hmm. Now, 
I don't know if you know this, but I live in Arkansas now. And I I did just recently learn, because I was studying up, that Little Rock was the first African-American school to be to be started among the LCMS. Correct. Now, are the Rosa J. Young Academies, are they going to be ex- expanding beyond, you had said, Alabama? Are these going to be like nationwide? Or where are you focusing your efforts It's nationwide. There? It will be nationwide. Okay. Uh, right now, we have three schools that we're hoping to uh, connect with uh, Atlanta, Georgia, one in Illinois, and the other one in Missouri. And then we'll go nationwide throughout the United States with working with local congregations to start uh, uh, preschools and then going into uh, K through 12th grade schools in the local communities. So that's what we're looking at doing in the next, uh, what, 10 years from now, hopefully by 2027, well, that's a little bit less than 10 years, we will have at least five to 10 schools started, uh, Rosa J. Young Academy started throughout the United States. Wow. Awesome. And 2027 will be the 150th anniversary of the LCMS in Black Ministry. Hmm. How exciting. And it how can exciting. people follow a- along with this this journey? Do you have uh, a way to, to to update people as as we're opening new schools and new ministries? Yes, we will have it on our website, uh, uh, lcms.org, Black Ministry. And uh, we will continue to update people on that website on where we're getting started, where we've started our first schools and and then uh, the existing schools. And if if people in community would like to have a school started or have an existing school, they would like to convert to a Rosa J. Young school, please let me know. Uh, just contact me either on my on the website or contact me personally with my on my uh, cell phone. And we would love to get in contact with them to talk to them about the Rosa J. Young Academies. Okay. Uh, are you interested in coming to Paragold, Arkansas? No doubt about it. <laughs> oh, we would love that. But we're, we're excited about coming back to Arkansas and doing some, uh, some work there among the congregations and communities to start some Rosa J. Young Academies once again. I think it will be an exciting time for uh, your district to work alongside of Black Ministry and, and the Office of National Missions to start some new uh, churches in those communities there. Pastor Gray, switching gears here a little bit, but of course still in the same vein of of what we've been talking about. You mentioned, and then of course I mentioned as well, that our country, if, if you watch the, the news especially, and even if you just simply look around you at your own communities and neighborhoods, the, the, the tension exists there. You can you can almost feel it in certain areas. And I'm talking about the, the racial tension or the tension around a conversa- conversation of racism. But from your vantage point as an African-American, also, of course, a Pastor and a teacher of many, uh, how would you describe this this current American climate when it comes to issues of race relations and racial justice? Well, you know, I, I think this is this has been the age long story of mankind. You know, sin separates. Uh, sin is disobedient, lawlessness, and it separates us from one another. And I think. Uh, this is nothing new. Historically, this has always happened here in America. It was slavery uh, that separated uh, blacks from whites and, and, and racism with, with other ethnic groups, the Native Americans. Uh, but the church has the great opportunity to tell the good, sto- the good news about Jesus. 
And I think when we see these uh, situations in our communities or in our nation or around the world, the church must always come to the table with the good news of the gospel, that we're all created in the image of God, though we are fallen through the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve and in the garden, yet we've been recreated in Christ. And we must believe that the good news of the gospel uh, brings us together as individuals who've been created, fallen, and yet recreated in Christ. And I think when we see that as the foundation of who we are as Christians and share that with those who do not know Jesus in, in communities and those who do, that if the gospel doesn't uh, uh, predominate in our lives, then we're, we're going to uh, be separate. We're, we're going to look at uh, individuals as being not like us. We're going to be divided. But I, I think the church must always bring to the table uh, the good news of the gospel. The church must remind the world that God still loves all humanity and all have sinned and fall daily short of the, the glory of God. But yet the gift of God is God's grace and his person uh, and son, Jesus Christ. And so I think that's where the church should be. That's where I try to encourage congregations and individuals when when I, when I talk to them about the, the present uh, situation in our country and, and even around the world, oftentimes when I, when I talk to people, especially with this new thing, uh, uh, the C, uh, critical race theory, CRT, and people get upset and they get angry about it and they you know, start throwing out all kinds of words, Marxism, socialism. And I simply say, well, that's not going to serve us well if we want to demonize and dehumanize uh, people. What will serve us well is that we're all fallen and broken people and we need to bring everybody to the foot of the cross. And there we need to point to the work of God's salvation in the person of Jesus and, and take them to the open tomb and, and, and realize that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has given all of us a living hope. And that hope comes in a God who still loves the world. So I think Christians must be very reflective in times like these. I don't think we need to jump on the bandwagon of, you know, of demonization and, and demoralize and, and uh, dehumanization of people. But we need to bring them back to the foot of the cross. We need to bring them to the tomb. We need to bring them to the resurrection. And we need to say to them, God has done something about our brokenness. He's made us well in Christ. And speaking of the gospel predominating, how specifically does the gospel in a way, just kind of level the playing fields for us when it when it comes um, to thinking of a given race as uh, superior or inferior in in the eyes of mankind and in the in the eyes of Christ. Well, well, there there are a couple of scriptures that I look at, and uh, naturally, John three sixteen, for God so loved the cosmos, God loves the world, God loves all people that He gave His only begotten Son, and that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And if we truly believe that God loves all people, and that in Christ then God provides all people with salvation, and that we're all then part of that wonderful work of salvation that God has called us to share with people, then we must see people in the light of that work of the cross, that work of God's redemptive work in Christ. And then I like that text of scripture in Romans where Luther understood it quite well, Romans 1, 16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto anyone who believes it, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles. For in it, he says, in the gospel, God has revealed to us that the righteous shall live by faith from beginning to the end. 
And uh, I, I think those two scriptures are dear to my heart when I'm dealing with people, when I'm trying to address the present day issues and the and whatever sinful issues that we're going through and challenging issues of uh, humanity. That I try to look at it as uh, as a God who loves the world through the eyes of a God who loves the world and a God who gave the God who gave the greatest gift of all, and that was the gift of His Son Jesus Christ. And so John three sixteen, Romans one sixteen and seventeen, Paul says, I think in the verse fourteen, he says, "We are obligated. The church is obligated to preach the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less, but the gospel. And if the gospel doesn't change our hearts and our minds about people." Uh, with justice and race and whatever, then nothing else is going to do it. We're not going to pass enough laws to help us to look at someone differently. Only racial injustice and, and race relation is only going to be dealt with in the good news of a God who loves all of us and that we're all sinners and that we all need a savior. And Jesus is that savior. And I also think, uh, Pastor Gray, of the... Galatians 3 passage when Paul is talking about for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ or been clothed with Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And, And then it goes on to say, and if you are in Christ then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs Amen. of the of the promise of the Messiah. And I I don't believe that what this is talking about is that our ethnicities, you know, don't matter or that they don't play any role, but in in terms of how Christ sees us and therefore how Christians should see each other in terms of the plan of salvation, it's the great equalizer of all of us are um, miserable, dirty, rotten sinners who, without God's grace, would perish to eternal damnation. And again, the, here is the cross, the the great equalizer of all peoples. But by God's grace, then we're all grafted in to to that tree and to that promise that well, now we're we're in we're in Abraham's lineage. <laughs> uh, I'm a you know mm-hmm. a Caucasian woman here in the the 21st century but somehow because of this I I am in Abraham's family and in his line and that doesn't make sense to the person looking on the outside who doesn't have the spirit but because of the spirit's power both in our baptism and in the word he makes us all equal and before him again in terms of salvation but then moving on from there you know, there's there's two different things that I guess kind of hang in the balance or that we we would want to balance. It's that kind of understanding that the gospel, you know, ultimately unites all believers uh, under Christ. But then, you know, Christians are are still able to um, celebrate and uphold their own ethnic and, and cultural values. So then, you know, how, how do those weigh against each other, I guess? And, and is there freedom then for the, the Christian to still be, to be proud of your ethnicity and your culture without triumphing it over and above, you know, anyone else's in, in terms of their, their value? Correct. I, I think the church reminds us of that. When you think about the church in Jerusalem, you think about all of the people uh, on Pentecost who came in. It came from different areas of the Middle East and North Africa, and it came and they heard the good news of the gospel. And they said, we heard the, 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 the wonderful news of Christ in our own language. 
and they went back to their to their communities to share that good news in their own culture. I, I, I don't think, you know, the gospel is a cross culture. It reminds us that it, it is the one thing that bridges all of us together. And uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you got to do away with your own culture and the way and, and, and the way you see life and things, because you do live in community. Uh, but I think it also reminds us that we ought not to put our culture above anyone else's culture, that uh, that the gospel is 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 what bridges the gap. It bridges the gap for all of us in Christ Jesus. And I think that's where we have to oftentimes uh, try to hold our own opinions and our own uh, uh, cultural uh, superiority over against other people. I'm reminded of what Paul speaks about in Colossians, that the preeminence, the supremacy, if we want to talk about supremacy, the supremacy is in Christ. It is not in us and in our culture. We bring all of that under the subjection of Christ, and then we can begin to live with one another and share each other's culture, uh, each other's history. And we can we can talk about that in a way in which we celebrate those things and not demonize those things that one culture is 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 not better to, than any other culture, but that God created all of us. Uh, and there are some things in all of our cultures that we would not want to celebrate, and that's natural. That that's that that that's in every culture that's out there. But there are things that we can celebrate uh, in our culture, and we can celebrate other people's culture. The things that they they uh, they celebrate worth celebrating. The good things that are going on in their culture, and every culture has some good things going on in it. But I think ultimately. It is about Christ. It is that you have to see people through the eyes of Christ, through the eyes of the gospel. And if we can see that, then we will put aside our own prefaces and 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 and, and our own quote superiority, and we'll see that that God created people in community. And you know, Paul speaks about that when he's up uh, up up with the the historic philosophers in Acts. And he tells them that God created all people and he placed us in the places where we live. And he said, your own poets simply say that we live, move and have our beings in him. And so he utilizes uh, utilizes their own writings about what they have said about God. And I think we can see that in, in each and every culture. We don't have the first thing come to our mind to demonize other people. We can see the good and the bad in every culture. And that's what we need to see. But I think one of the problem is is that we 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 tend to we tend to uh, polarize ourselves, or 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 we tend to uh, religious and 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 politically uh, we 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 are on one side over against the other side, and and then what happens is we see people through those uh, political lens or those religious lens instead of them see, seeing them through the eyes of Christ and the eyes of God and the gospel. Uh, and, and when we do that, then the first thing comes to our mind is what's wrong with you and what's bad about you instead of what's good about God and what, what God has called us to be as uh, people that he has taken broken people and he's healed them in the good news of the gospel. And uh, I think that's where we have to constantly go back to, that we must constantly focus on on seeing people through the eyes of Calvary through the eyes of the resurrection, uh, through the eyes of the redemption that God has given us in Christ. And when we can see that, we can not only see them as broken individuals, but we can see them as people who, whom God has died for and Christ has died for and has risen again, that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Pastor Gray, I'm just thinking about the scriptures and how the scriptures talk about different ethnicities, cultures, and then, of course, people from various regions. But I, you know, it, I can't remember or think of a specific time, although there, there may be, when scripture specifically references the color of someone's skin. And now this may itself be an issue of, you know, time and how t- time changes the way that people see things and then also talk, you know, but I'm thinking of specifically in the New Testament when Samaritans and Samaria was mm-hmm. kind of like the the detestable place and kind of the detestable uh, culture within, you know, the, the true Jewish community. And that seems to be more of how the scriptures represent the way that people talked and thought. Mm-hmm. And now today, I think we have, you know, we're more likely to talk about people in terms of very sweeping generalizations when it comes to race and then culture. So for instance, if I say that they're Asian, (laughs) well, what, what could that mean? I mean, there's so many Asian countries, including Japan, uh, there's Indonesia, there's Mm -hmm. Thailand, there's Vietnam. And these people have vastly different cultures, vastly different governments, different ways of life. Although especially today, people kind of lump them into this same general term, probably based on their skin being, you know, generally um, the same kind of color. And the same thing goes with when we talk about African Americans. Well, thinking of all of the countries that make up the continent of Africa, (laughs) you have uh, Nigeria, you have South Africa, you have Egypt and Madagascar, yet we still think strictly in terms of, well, that person has dark skin, black skin, and so we lump them all in kind of together. And I guess what would you, what would be your (laughs) suggestion, you know, moving forward when we're talking about different races, different cultures, what would be the best way to to talk about these things? And then I guess, how does scripture inform us of this in terms of how it talked about or didn't talk about people's skin colors? Yeah, I think, you know, if a person comes from Ethiopia, they're proud of their heritage, they're proud of where they've come from. If they're from Eritrea and they're proud of the fact that they're Eritrean, you know, if they come from Nigeria, they're proud of that. Our next word across the street neighbors from Ghana, and they're proud of the Beganaeans and uh, Liberians, you know, all of these people, they're proud of their heritage, they're proud of their culture, they're proud of the place they come from. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, as Paul says, God has placed all of us in the place where we are today. Uh, but what he has done across culture is that he's brought one person to bring all of those cultures together, and that is the person, Jesus Christ. I think we celebrate culture. We celebrate ethnicity. We celebrate nationality. Uh, we do it in a way where we're not demonizing them. There's a difference between celebration and demonizing. Uh, I think it's it, the demonization, then you start you know, believing that somehow that person is less than human when... Uh, when you see them from, you know, a, a poor country or a third world country and uh, or, you know, a South American American country. And uh, we start demonizing those people as if though they are not human, but they're all human. God created all of them. They all have one parentage. That is Adam and Eve. 
And, uh, and so we're all brothers and sisters, no matter where we are from. And, and I think, uh, you know, the problem in our society and around the world is that we love to put people in silos. We love to box them in. And then we, we want them to be less than what, what we are. And then we come up with reasons why we say they are not, uh, they're not uh, better than us or we're better than them. And then we create systems and institutions to make sure that we hold them down. We've done that in America. And uh, I, I think about I'm, I'm a son of the segregated South. Uh, I recall growing up in a segregated community. And even though we had uh, working class white and blacks living pretty much in the same communities, but we went to different schools. You know, we couldn't go to different places. And, uh, uh, and you know, and, and, and so we demonize people basically because of the color of their skin. And yet here in America, we have all of these nationalities coming together under the fact that they're all Americans now. And we need to celebrate that. We don't need to demonize people simply because they are Asian or they're from Korea or they're from, you know, uh, Vietnam or, or they're from Japan or, or they're from China. Uh, uh, we, we need to celebrate that, that these are people who've made in the image of God, though fallen yet recreated in the image of God through the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's where I see people. And that's why I try to live my life according to that great understanding of the gospel, that God loves all humanity and Jesus died for all people. And there's something good and probably something bad in all cultures and that we just need to stop demonizing each other. Let's celebrate that which is good, but let's celebrate more than anything else the good news of the gospel that God mm. loves you no matter who you are. And Jesus died for your sins as he died for my sins. And then let's get on about uh, uh, trying to make the world a better place. Now, is there anything specific about our Lutheran articulation of theology that especially teaches us to, to care for and love our neighbors of different races, cultures, customs, skin colors? Yeah, I think as Lutherans, we, we understand uh, that law gospel uh, uh, understanding quite well, uh, that the law shows us all who we are. We're sinners. We're all sinners. We, 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 all, we all are broken people and that the law reminds us who we are. And, uh, you know, the three uses of the law, we try to use those, that it comes to curb our sin. It, it comes to show us our sin and it comes to teach us how to live according to God's commandments. Uh, but then the gospel shows us our savior. I like to use the SOS. The law shows our sin. The gospel shows our savior. And the gospel simply shows us Jesus. And then through, as I said earlier, through the eyes of Jesus, we see the world uh, through the grace of God. And uh, broken though it may be, yet redeemed in the person of, of our savior, Jesus Christ. So the Lutherans then have this wonderful understanding of law gospel. And that's what we bring to the table. You know, some, some uh, uh, brothers and sisters in other denominations don't, don't quite see it like that. But we see, we see the whole scriptures through the law gospel dynamics that the law shows us our sins and nobody can measure up to the law because at the end of the, light, the day, law, law tells us all who we are. We're sinners. 
We sin every day in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we've left undone, the sin of omission, the sin of commission. But I like to say the greatest sin of all is when the church will not preach the gospel, which is the sin of no missions, that we will not preach Christ to those who still need to know him as Savior. And then to those who know him but have fallen short and remind them that God has measured us up. We can't measure ourselves up. God has done that. And so the Lutherans then have this unique liturgy, this unique understanding of law gospel. We constantly remind ourselves that we need to repent, you know, and we constantly remind ourselves that God forgives us when we repent, that whole repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's part of our liturgy. I know I was at a church once and and uh, and I was talking about the uh, the law gospel dynamics and that uh, that old that that, that old uh, saying of Luther. Uh, and some people will know this: "Simulusta et peccata," that simultaneously we are sinners and saints. We're justified, and then we are we are sinners. And uh, and so a young lady walked out. She said, "I'm so sick and tired of you Lutheran pastors constantly talk about we are sinners and we are saints." She said, "I'm no longer a sinner. I'm 100 saint." And I said, well, you, you, I, I agree with you, you're 100% saint, but you're 100% sinner too. And, uh, and I'm not trying to judge you according to your sin. So I asked the pastor, well, what's with her? She's, he said, well, she's gone to some of these holiness churches and the church has said that, no, she's no longer a sinner. She's a saint. Sin has been done away with. And I said, well, I can agree sin has been done away with in Christ, but we're still sinners and that we fall short each and every day and we need repentance. And the repentance and the forgiveness of sin is preached to us every day. But she couldn't see that because she wanted to be a person who believes that she no longer sins. And I say, well, you know, the, per- the, the fact is, is that trying to say that she's no longer a sinner means that she is a sinner and, uh, and she <laughs> needs forgiveness. So I think the law gospel uh, deals with this whole thing of, of ethnicity, of nationality, of racism, or, or all of the stuff that nativism and all of the stuff that we're, we're, we're fighting, uh, the law gospel dynamic and understanding of law gospel helps us through that as Lutherans. But unfortunately, some Lutherans forget about that. And so we end up jumping on the same bandwagon of, of demonization, dehumanization, and nativism and all of that stuff, instead of going back, say, listen, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hmm. And I also think, too, Pastor, of Luther's explanation of the first article of the Creed, when he says, you know, what does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures. He's given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members. And he still takes care of them. And then at the very end, he says, and all this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. And once again, we see that all of us, we who are given you know, bodies and souls, regardless of skin color, customs, ethnicities, you know, culture, we all completely 100% rely on our Father to give us his divine goodness and his divine mercy because we have no merit Amen. and no worthiness within us. And that's a, just a, also another great Amen. Lutheran lens by which we look at creation and then look at our fellow man. And when you understand the third article where he, where he speaks about sanctification, then you realize that it's not about you. 
when he said, it is the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. Then you yeah. go out and you don't, you don't go out and say, well, you know, you have to be like me in order to be saved. No, you go out and say, well, this is work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saves yeah. people where they're at, not where we want them to be. Leave the work up to yeah. the Spirit. You just share the good news of the gospel and let the Spirit do the work of converting people to Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Being a Lutheran is great, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Dr. Richard, Richard Dickinson, Stephanie says, uh, uh, yeah. uh, he was talking about all of the issues that happened during racism and during the time that he grew up in the, in the, in the fifties and in the forties. And he said, you know, the church wasn't, wasn't always perfect in, in their mission work among African-Americans. And uh, he tells a lot of stories about, you know, the mission executives and all of that how they treated African-Americans in the South. And he said, if it had not been for the Lutheran understanding of the gospel, he said, I would have left the Lutheran church years ago. He <laughs> said, but I can't leave because where would I go? He said, because the Lutherans have the clear understanding of scripture. And so he <laughs> says, then I understand that they are just broken people just like we are. And, uh, <laughs> and I stay because of the way we understand the scriptures and the gospel. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, again, to be a Lutheran, also to remind ourselves that we're completely broken and all that we receive is a gift from Christ through our baptism, through his word, through continued means of, of grace. Now, Pastor Gray, in, in a perfect scenario, um, this side of the new creation, so still mm -hmm. this life that we are in now, what does it look like to have a multi-ethnic, diversified church body that is healthy? And I, again, we're talking about ideals here, but it's something that the church needs to be striving for. So what does that even look like? Well, I think I think when you think about what that would, would mean for us as the church, it, it would simply mean, now, you know, we're all in our communities. We just can't go out and tell people, hey, get rid of your church. Y'all come together. And let's be the, the new creation in Christ and, and let's be a diversified church body. Uh, you know, historically, the gospel has been preached to people. You go to Africa where uh, Lutheranism is growing the fastest around the world. And, and those are predominantly African church bodies. I mean, you know, you look at uh, Makaniezu, you look at uh, the Lutheran church in Ghana, you look at the Lutheran church in Niger Nigeria, look at uh, the other areas, South African, where you have still separate churches. I mean, I mean, you 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 can't you can't just force people uh, to all come under the same umbrella and say, "Well, we only have one church, so everybody's going to go to this spot and worship." Uh, we serve where God has called us to serve because people live in communities. Uh, but I think when we talk about diversification and multi-ethnic multi churches, it means then that we serve people where we find them. We proclaim the good news of the gospel. We don't look at them differently. We provide the resources that we have to them so that they can uh, share Christ in their communities. Whatever we have, we want them to have that too so they can be effective in serving uh, people in the, in the community. I wish that every, uh, you know, I wish that every church would be a multi-ethnic church. In other words, you have every ethnic group under the sun in that church worshiping in that local congregation, but that's just not going to happen because you have some places where you don't even have African-Americans. You have some places where you, you, you don't have a lot of whites. And, and, uh, and, and so what we have to do then is we have to look at multi-ethnic and diversity 
through the eyes of the gospel and through the eyes of Christ. That we all have been part of this new, we have been recreated in Christ. And, 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 and that recreation means then that we see the world from a different perspective. Wherever we find people, we share the good news of the gospel to them. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will use that message to bring them to Christ, that proclamation of the gospel to bring them to Christ. And that, you know, a diversified church body doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have everybody in the same building. A diversified church body simply means that wherever we find people of whatever color, we tell them about Jesus. And so in the Lutheran church throughout the world, it is very diversified. Naturally in North in South America, it's going to be of, you know, Latino heritage there in Africa and the African heritage in Europe, European, you know, in Asia, Asia, but it's still a multi-ethnic diversified body for there is only one church and that is the church of Christ. And we are all part of that body. And so congregations may be different in different places, but we need to celebrate the diversity of the body. As Paul says, you know, the body has many parts and everybody is not, you know, an eye or an ear or a mouth. We're all part of that body. And so we are diversif diversified, whether we like it or not. We are multi-ethnic church, whether we like it or not. Uh, but I think the greatest thing is to find communities where we say, what is it that you need to tell the people in this community about Jesus? And if they are different than us, ethnic ethnically, then let's not demonize their ethnicity. Let's bring them in and talk about, hey, let's talk about how do we serve? What, what are the things you do in your ethnic uh, group that we can celebrate? Uh, you know, with the gospel seeds, Carlos and I and Steve Shade, uh, we used to go to communities. We went to Iowa. And in this community in Iowa, we had this predominantly white uh, Lutheran church. And, 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 and across the street in the apartment, there were some Asians who had come over and uh, they wanted to know, how do we reach them? And, uh, and, and I simply said, well, just walk across the street, talk to them, find out who the leader is, engage the leader, say to the leader, you know, we, we are Christians, we're Lutheran Christians, we want to serve you guys. Why don't you guys come over and let's have some fellowship time together. Let's talk about what are your needs Let's see how we can address those needs. And we can share with you about who we are and we can talk about uh, uh, what Christ means to all of us. This isn't rocket science, you know. I mean, you don't, you don't need to be an astrophysicist in order to understand that there is one God who has created all of us. We are fallen people and he has recreated us in his son, Jesus Christ. And we are a, a multi-ethnic uh, a diversified people in the world and the church of Christ is a diversified multi-ethnic church body. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Pastor Gray, just finally, as we conclude, what you've been so encouraging throughout all of this and, and, and really very positive in your talk, but probably because <laughs> you are, you know, basing your words off of the gospel hope that we have. Um, how would you encourage just your average, you know, listener? Now I'm thinking you're just your average stay-at-home mom or your average um, pastor in the middle of Iowa or your your average family out, you know, on the coast in California, just doing their thing, being faithful, but also seeing the news stories coming up and being disheartened by 
um, what's what's going on, what continues to go on both nationally and then globally. Can you just provide one last word of encouragement for those people who feel burdened by by today? Yeah, you know, at the 2016 uh, National Con- Convention, LCMS, uh, the Black Lives Matter were walking down by the, by, by, by the uh, I think we were in the convention hall, and uh, Dr. Harrison at the time said, be careful out there because Black Lives Matter is walking down there. You don't want to get into confrontation. And, uh, and, and I was uh, a presenter at that, and, and I said to the, uh, to the conventioners, I said, listen, I said, be very careful. I said, but isn't it the work of the church to engage people where we find them? And ask them, what is it that you feel that we can do as the church to address whatever issue that you're going through? And then to say, here are the resources that we have as the church. And how can we use these resources to address the issues that you uh, are most adamant about? I may not agree with your issues. And oftentimes we, we don't agree with a whole lot of the issues that are out there. Critical race theory, you know, everybody's demonizing that. I don't agree with it 100%, but there are some things that we need to address. But, but we, in our fear, we must not demonize and dehumanize individuals. We must say then if we preach the gospel and some people get angry about the way we preach it and they have a right to, but that doesn't mean then that I'm going to be angry with them. I'm going to try to simply say to them, well, what is it about what I'm saying about Jesus that you're angry about? And if they, if they say, well, you know, you're calling me a sinner and, you know, and I, and, and, and then I have to address that. I have to simply say, well, the word sinner means simply that you miss the mark of God's holiness, his righteousness and the knowledge of God. Are you perfect? And they say, well, no, I'm not perfect. Well, then, you know, if you're not perfect and God created us uh, in his image to be perfect, then we're fallen. Then we need to address that and deal with that. So we need to learn how to step back from the precipice of jumping off the cliff and talking about how bad things are and start talking about how good God is. Hmm. That's the way I try to deal with it. I, I try not to prejudge people. I try not to quickly jump to a conclusion that this is all wrong and that if you don't stop doing this or stop believing that or act the way that I want you to act, then I can't have anything to do with you or you demonize you or dehumanize you. I simply try to step back and say, if I were in your shoes, then what would I say and how would I believe over against what I'm sharing with you about uh, what God calls us to be as people of God. I, I pray, my prayer to the church is, is that is that we always will be reflective about how we proclaim law gospel among whatever issues is going on in our communities, in our country, in our nation, and in the world. That we mm-hmm. see it through the lens of the gospel and that we realize that, listen, I'm dealing with a sinful person here. Sinful people do what sinful people do. They sin. I'm a sinful person all of myself. I do sin in thought, word, and deed. And the only remedy for that is the good news of the gospel. 
and try to share that with them and proclaim that to them and live that life out to them. Because at the end of the day, if they arrive before God without Christ, they have no hope. They arrive without any hope. And God has no choice to say to them, I'm sorry, I do not know you. And they'll live an eternity without God in Christ. And we surely don't want that for people. And so the church then must be very careful, very reflective, and very patient with sinners because God has been patient with us. Yeah, but you know what? The the way that you answered that question really in totality is is just a good formula for being um, a Christ follower is to let the gospel be um, the lens by which we view all people in all situations. So that's just a good word for not only dealing with people who are not like us in terms of color of our, our skin or our ethnicity, but just also other people in general. That's just a, the right thing to do. So thank you for Amen. that, for that encouragement and for, for your wise words today. Thanks so much, Pastor Gray, for coming on and sharing that with us. Uh, it, it was wonderful being with you. And uh, uh, I, I pray that uh, uh, this podcast would touch the hearts of people. And I pray that we will look at the world just from a, from a different perspective and understand that God, God has called us to proclaim uh, the good news of the gospel under the law gospel umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and don't forget to click the follower subscribe button on your app so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. New episodes drop the second and fourth Fridays of every month. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Mm-hmm.